Welcome to To Your Bible, custom designed to your Bible reading plan and weekly podcast by myself, Chris Case, pastor of Resonate Church. I'm here with Sarah Pasquale, our executive director. Hey there. And so we are, um, congratulations in some sense. You got one more week left of reading to do, but we will recap today uh, some of Zechariah and some more of the book of Revelation as well as a couple Psalms. And so uh, we pick up in the midst of Zechariah and there's um, this this promise uh, of a restoration of Judah to Israel, uh, Israel but it does not come without uh, some warnings about the leadership uh, of of Israel and so uh, God re- reminds them to to turn to him to pray for things like rain uh, to pray for basically the simple the subsistence stuff of life and um, I think ultimately calling them uh, not to not to practice divination not to seek oracles not to continue their idolatry and not even ultimately to turn to Israel leadership at the time, but to come to him directly because the, the, the leadership is bad. He's going to strike it down and establish this new strong leadership. And he uses phrases like a cornerstone or a tent peg or a battle bow, um, coming from the house of Judah, which will certainly have some overlap with Jesus. And so, um, and that people will be drawn from all around. It's very much a, a, a very future oriented, um, calling for them. Let's pause for a moment and think about this idea and the role that rain played back then to Judah and Israel. It was essential, uh, but also unpredictable in the lives of people. So a good indicator of where their hearts were was who they sought for rain. Were they crying out to Yahweh or were they reaching out to other gods or doing other things? And it can kind of cause us or provide an opportunity for us to sit back and think about uh, these unpredictable essentials in our lives. And where are we pursuing them? Who are we crying out to or entrusting to provide those things like health, security, financial means, all of those things? And then Zechariah picks up on talking about flocks as well as sort of this united two pieces of a staff. And so um, that, that should have some callbacks to the book of Ezekiel, uh, sort of the the much uh, Ezekiel speaks at length a little bit about sheep and the Israel shepherds. And he also has this prophecy about uh, these two pieces of wood that he writes the, the Northern kingdom and the Southern kingdom on. He reunites them together and talks about God's promise. And yet uh, here we see Ze- uh, uh, Zechariah sort of have um, almost the opposite of r- approach of of God has gotten um, frustrated enough with um, the breaking of the covenants, both by the leadership and by at least some of the sheep that he um, is going to break apart this, the staff. And, and there's also the, the, the comment of, of just how, uh, um, broken these leadership, the leadership really is here. And, um, if you remember the Judas story as well, there's also some connections here of the 30 pieces of silver that get thrown back into the temple, which we very much see, uh, Judas do. And in some ways that's an indictment, um, not necessarily on Judas that he does that, uh, but on the leadership. I mean, that is coming at this sort of little parable that's told of Zechariah, um, sort of representing God, uh, ultimately giving back to the corrupt leadership, what they had was willing to pay, which was 30 pieces of silver and so um sort of calling out the leadership in israel um that that god is breaking his covenant with this leadership and so um that that moment that feels just sort of haphazard in the gospels if you connect to zechariah is a pretty intense uh, sort of statement around the leadership in israel at the time yeah, I think it's one of those themes that we can follow throughout, you know, almost every book, but lots of books in scripture around this idea of shepherd and sheep. And it continually points us to no matter how great of a leader you have, we need a better leader. And of course, that comes through Christ who talks about himself as the good shepherd. He is the fulfillment of of the, the perfect shepherd. 
And then we see a sort of refrain of on that day. And so uh, there's some future day that this is coming. And so um, there's some difficulty at times interpreting exactly all the Old Testament talks about in terms of the day. Uh, I've heard it talked about as if um, you see a mountain range from really far away and it feels like a flat single unit. Um, but then as you enter into it, it's a little more spaced out and there were other things that happen over time. And so, uh, there are times that scripture talks about sort of, uh, that day as a final true finale of all things. But then there's also, uh, in some ways, like, um, even as Peter said in, in sort of Pentecost, we are now in the last days. And so there's might be things that are talked about in the old Testament that are things that we might experience as well. So as, as you read through some of those, as you get into some, some statements on those days, it could be stuff you're experiencing now as the church in sort of these last days, but it also could be a stuff that's dealt with in sort of the full restoration of things. And sometimes you just kind of have to read through and parse out. Um, but that, in this section, at least there's that sense that God will do this work of restoration as people and he will bring judgment against those working against his people. Once again, that can apply both in the finale of all things, but also apply continuously to God and his people. Yeah, God again reiterates and kind of helps them lift their heads or lift their eyes and remember that he's going to punish the nations that seek to do them harm and he will elevate the house of David, which we see fulfilled in Christ, but we also see in this new heavens and new earth. And then God, who's the first person speaker here, speaks of having to be pierced. And um, there's really no way other way to interpret it as God is sort of the, the one who gets pierced in this process, which uh, will certainly make us think of Jesus, whether it's through his hands or by the spear. Uh, he is pierced multiple times. And um, and, and in so doing, there's, there's grace shown by God, and it causes a whole lot of weeping, uh, as if people have lost their firstborn son. Now, whether it's it's Jews that have missed out on it and are suddenly revealed that Jesus is really the, the son of God at the end, or whether this is, um, uh, uh, all the people of God, the sort of inhabitants of Jerusalem, which could be metaphoric for all people of God. And they are just weeping over the fact that even in their grace, they realize it cost God his, his only son. Um, it, it's a little hard and, and I'm okay at moments in scripture to be like, I don't totally know how to interpret that. And that's, kind of part of reading scripture and learning and growing. And so, um, yeah, but that's at least the metaphor of Jesus being pierced is certainly clear here though. And I think we see here that mourning and our sin comes through God's spirit of grace and mercy. Grieving sin is a result of God's grace and mercy. And this idea of piercing does obviously direct us right to Christ. I love that uh, verse one of chapter 13. It talks about a fountain open to cleanse us from sin and unrighteousness and Christ who is pierced for our sin. We see his blood as that fountain cleansing us. And then there's talk of um, both prophets and idols that, um, that are, that need to be purged and sort of this idea that there's prophets are not actually called by God and they're just speaking and uh, they need to be cut off. And, um, and then there's sort of the future orientation to that, that the prophets will be unnecessary. The shepherds will also be unnecessary and sort of this future and that God himself is going to take drastic, drastic action to restore his people. And then there's even the metaphor that's used of um, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, which uh, very much Jesus and his disciples sort of um, have that imagery uh, connected to them as well. Yeah, so we see God's shepherds struck down and the sheep scattered. Uh, and they, because of that, go to a place of, and a time of refining and a purifying of their desire even for God. And I think this can be our story and our experience with suffering as well. Our trials are not to punish us because Christ has already received that punishment for us, but they are to train us in love. And so as you experience suffering and trials, ask the Lord to train you in love through them. And then there's a, another day of the Lord. And often that phrase can, can be very much... Uh 
um, more often than not related to like the, the final culmination of all things days. Uh, but in that, in sort of that day of the Lord, there will be suffering in that moment. There'll be plundering and there will be women rape, but that God will take vengeance. God will have a final answer uh, to the attacker. And, um, and the image there that's used is sort of this picture of God standing on, on Mount Olives, uh, in the East of, 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 uh, Jerusalem and and then there's this like rift that leads to sanctuary or salvation or protection for all those who are willing to go the direction of of God standing on Mount Olives and and the the picture on the other side of that is this Eden like flourishing of all God's mm-hmm. people and so um, it, it is a picture a representation in a lot of ways of the gospel that um, that sanctuary salvation protection is only provided uh, through going in the direction of uh, Jesus. Yeah, we see, and I appreciate that this is the very end of the book. We see that there is going to be a great trial for God's people, but God will come and deliver them, and there will be per- perfect and true worship of God. And so we see this promise of suffering continuing, but also know that life is still sacred, and those who are in Christ are still set apart to Him and for Him and for His glory. And so we have this reminder at the end of Zechariah that we have in most of the New Testament books as well, like, hang in there, persevere, God is worth it. Yeah, so final thoughts? Uh, I think that we see so many of these promises in Zechariah realized in the death and resurrection of Christ, but there are aspects of these promises that are still unrealized until the day that all is made right, that we are still anticipating as Christians on this side of the death and resurrection of Christ. So this book to me was a huge encouragement to endure in sort of the days of small things like we read about in chapter four. And just as Zechariah encouraged the people to live faithfully before God and anticipate the Messiah, we can also live faithfully before God and anticipate the Messiah's second coming. God keeps his promises and we can trust him. Yeah. And and this may sound redundant, but this is once again, essentially a book of encouragement and, and warnings as well for God's people to, to just patiently endure. I mean, this is the, the nature of apocalyptic literature, as we've kind of pointed out also in Revelation. Suffering is going to come. Chaos may come. Um, there's all sorts of things, both persecution as well as God's judgment that's going to fall on people. But the, the ultimate victory is there. So finish the race. There's, there's a, there's a finale uh, to it all. So endure to the end and it's totally going to be worth it. That's sort of the the picture once again for Zechariah and his people. Mm. So revelation, uh, let's jump in and uh, we're picking up. Uh, there's been sort of these six sort of doling out of, um, blows upon, uh, God and his enemies, uh, in, in the, whether it's the beast, whether it's just things on the earth, uh, and the seventh bowl is sort of the, the f- finale, the final one, um, which also once again has some cultural context uh, this idea of the, the mountain breaking into thirds is exactly what happened in its artists. And so, um, there's sort of this, this picture of a traumatic, uh, event that, um, God or John is picking up on to communicate this sort of, um, disaster that could be looming, uh, into the future. Uh, and so this epic showdown sort of is coming to the close. That's why we even get the phrase, the sort of, it is done remark in there and a the slain land has landed all the blows he's going to blow, um, towards the direction of the beast at this point. Yeah, it can give us hope that there will be a complete and a final full end to the wickedness surrounding us. Yeah, and then we uh, continue to pick up and we use um, some more imagery of this prostitute and the beast and <clears throat> Babylon sort of uh, also it gets kind of pulled in here in some of the language and um, and it's important because it's a image that's often pictured um, in the prophets of this prostitute who lures the nations into her adultery and, and Babylon becomes this sort of um, apocalyptic 
image uh, for kingdoms of evil, just as Babylon terrorized the people of the Old Testament and fell into disrepair. So, so would every kingdom spoken in sort of, of in apocalyptic uh, imagery. This this fall of Babylon becomes a foreshadow of what just what happens to any groups that stand against God's people in any form. And so, that image is very much being played out here. And the women herself is dressed in sort of a interesting Roman style garb, as well as the horns and stuff like that, um, which. Rome is sort of being compared here, I would argue, to Babylon. And the harlot ends up being destroyed uh, by the beast and its actions. And so um, not only has God attacked the beast, but uh, the beast also ravages uh, this great prostitute as well. And so there's all this imagery being caught in. Um, and that's where evil lent, leads to. I mean, that's sort of the, the picture as well. Like, if you want to trust in, in the beast it's going to destroy you. And and that's sort of the picture I think that John is playing out in the finale of all things. And it's like, it's as if the buzzer hasn't quite sounded yet, but the outcome is truly clear at this moment. I love the comparison we read about when we think about the beast compared to God, we have God as him who is and who was and who is to come. And we have the beast as him who was and is not and will be no more. We see here the eternal triumph of God over evil. And those of us who are with him are still considered called and chosen and faithful. And those are such good characteristics and good words to sit under. And, and it, I mean, it's, it's got to be an incredible statement. And certainly in their context, but certainly even into our context. I mean, that's often how you have to read Revelation is what's going on on the ground and how does that still apply to us? But the idea that that even the, the largest, strongest uh, empire that's existed in history and God sort of, um, through John here, writing, like uh, as one commentator say, he wrote a funeral dirge for the mightiest empire of the world. And um, just, just what a contrast that would be, that there's always a moment of hope, no matter how much it feels like evil might be winning. Um, and, and it's invitation for God's people to, 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 um, leave the beast to not pledge allegiance and to not give into that. Similar to Isaiah and Jeremiah's call to uh, the words that they use is leave Babylon to, to not, um, <clears throat> to not ultimately give into that. And so, um, and then John picks up on Ezekiel 27, the whole second half of chapter 18 is a lot of Ezekiel 27 of the fall of the King of Tyre. Um, and, and you got to imagine hearing this and, and I wrestle with this a little bit, like these are people on the ground who are seeking to be as obedient as possible in the midst of a lot of pressure and persecution, a lot of evil happening all around us, all around them. But from a kingdom that is saying, look, I, we will bring safety and security. They're building roads. They're providing uh, armies. They're, they're doing all this kind of stuff. And, and I wonder if we would feel the same. If God were to say, look, I'm coming to destroy all the idols of America, of individualism, sometimes of comfort and safety and security and all these kind of things, because I want my people um, to, to trust in me as their only hope and safety and security. And would we, would we feel like that's a good thing for, for God to come in and destroy what is evil, even if it means a destruction of, of things we rely on mm-hmm. that we probably shouldn't rely on. And, and I wonder if we're more on the Rome side of the story than on the God side of the story and some of the things that we trust in for, for true hope. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we see a lot of people grieving because the things that they're worshiping instead of worshiping God is lost. Um, So it lifts, again, lifts our head, lifts our eyes, causes us to wonder and consider what we are putting our hope in and remember that there is one thing that is unshakable and that is the kingdom of God. 
Yeah, and then uh, it feels like uh, in some ways we're, we're sort of at the conclusion of the games. If you want to keep running with that analogy, which I always sometimes feel helpful, and um, and the victor is about to take the podium. The music is playing. Uh, they're singing the song of the, like the national anthem of the kingdom of God in some ways. Uh, and and once again, it's just a reminder. There's hope for those who patiently endure, persevere, who overcome, and continue to claim Jesus as Lord and no other. Yeah, I just love imagining and picturing this multitude of nations and people praising God because he has defeated wickedness and injustice for all time. Uh, and then John moves into actually quoting a few of the more imprecatory psalms uh, multiple times. And um, and you got to imagine these psalms are, are, are constantly prayers for God to do justice against evil in the world. And, and, and the prayer sometimes struggling even with words of, of God, I, I need you to step in. I need you to help. I need you to do something. And so um, this moment feels like, all right, all those prayers for God's justice, all those prayers against evil are finally going to reach their culmination. God is finally going to deal with evil in and of itself at the end here. And, and it's, it's hopeful and it, it's represented almost by a marriage as a marriage feast. And, um, and, and you got to imagine the story of, of scripture itself. It begins with the story of, of a husband and a bride. And now it's finishing with that of Christ in his church. And so there's such a beautiful arc to that as well. Uh, that, that even as we talk about this, like, it's like, ah, oh, there's, there's so much going on. It's so beautiful. And I think John is experiencing that. He's like, so in the state of worship that like, even the messenger, he starts worshiping and the messenger's like, hold on, you, I need you to stop worshiping me. You got to make sure you worship Jesus. And it's, and once again, there's tremendous encouragement in that, that prophecy is being heard again and prophecy is being spoken again. And that's what the angel talks about. And I think as an aside, I just want to mention marriage here and that we should be coming to this passage as we consider the purpose and the role that marriage plays, whether you are someone who is married or who is not married, the marriage was created and designed by God to give this picture of Christ in the church. So as you reflect on marriage, even in your own life or the lives around you, come to this passage and think of what it looks like from this perspective of Christ in the church in Revelation. Um, we see those who are clothed in the righteous deeds of the saints, uh, in the righteous deeds of Christ himself being invited to this marriage feast of the Lamb. And then the hero, the victor, finally arrives on his white horse for the for these ceremonies. And um, once again, picking up from earlier images of the horses and and to enact judgment all of creation. And um, I don't think the picture. I, 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 there's plenty of scripture that deals with sort of the individual understanding of judgment, but I think the picture here is God uh, judging all of creation in a way that's like. Um, really dealing with I'm, I'm about to make all things new not not just all new things but to make all things new I'm about mm -hmm. to purge and cleanse and to make something new uh, the sort of tremendous moment of God um, culminating his kingdom into this world yeah and we see Christ the word coming to save his people through judging their enemies and so note here that Jesus is called faithful and true he's the opposite of all things wickedness that we've seen in this book and in the world around us the world is unfaithful and false but Jesus is faithful and true all right Psalm 129 what should we notice out of it uh, just uh, this theme of believing confidently in the blessings and faithfulness of God in the midst of affliction. Yeah, and and just to even keep going from Revelation, there's definitely some verbiage of, of sort of the humiliation of God's enemies in the midst of this. And then Psalm 98. God is going to make known his salvation to all people, to the ends of the earth, and even creation is going to respond in their worship of him. Yeah, it's definitely a song of celebration of the victory of the Lord and God's redemption of Israel and the rejoicing that's just going to ensue. So what should we look for next week? Final week. Yeah, final week. As you read Malachi to wrap up the Old Testament, I just think it really beautifully captures the past, the present, 
and the future plan and work of God in contrast to our own sinful behaviors. So follow this big picture story of scripture that we've, um, as you read this book and then following along the lines of following the big picture story, uh, before you wrap up revelation, I'd encourage you to go back to Genesis one through three and read that as sort of a refresher before you close out revelation. Yeah. yeah uh, this, the final Old Testament book, uh, maybe pick up the Bible project if you want and remember the moment you're in the people have rebuilt the city. There is hope for them. There's fear feeling of, of resurgence, but maybe all is still not totally well. And I think Malachi helps tell that story. And then the new Testament. Yeah. The dragon, the beast um, has been defeated in the games, but when will it be done away with what, what for good, what that's sort of the question still on the table. It's like, all right, the, the dragon was clearly beaten down. But but what's the what's the what's the final answer to that? And and I think Revelation will give us the final answer. All right, thanks, y'all. Thank you.